This morning's passage is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 52. Again, that's Matthew 13, 47 through 52. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Oh, we can do better. Good morning. All right, there we are. Good to see you guys. Normally, like, this is the lively group, but I think the 9 o'clock has you beat today, but we'll see what we can do. Try to liven it up. If you are, hopefully you have your Bibles there. Keep those open uh, in Matthew chapter 13, if you would. We're going to get to that in just a moment. We're going to be finishing up. Um, Jesus' parables here in Matthew 13 um, by focusing on one big idea, one big idea today. So if you're a note taker, uh, here's the big idea. Feel free to go ahead and write this down. Um, And we're going to kind of work everything today around this one big idea from Matthew 13. Here it is. Jesus is calling us to live with the end in mind. Jesus Our king is calling us, his people, to live with the end in mind. Uh, With that being said, let me pray for us so that we can ask the Lord to speak to us and that we would all hear what we uh, individually need to hear from him. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for this morning where we can gather in in this place uh, and sing praises to you. We know that you are a God that, that delights in hearing your people sing praises to you and give you glory, just even by, by being here with our presence, we're, we're honoring you. Uh, and so God, we, we would ask that in this moment that you would speak to us. Uh, we did not come here to hear a person speak. God, we came here to hear you speak to us, that, that you would, by your spirit, drive your word deep into our hearts, into our minds. God, would you transform us today? May we be different people than we were when we came into this room this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So I grew up loving and playing basketball. I can remember, I think I started probably around six years old. I began playing on like the little eight-foot rims. How many of you, like, that's where you started out, little little shorties, right? And kind of grew all the way through high school, played like three years of of varsity basketball, and then tried to play in college. Uh, That's a sad story. Wasn't good enough to get any kind of scholarship, so I like tried to do the walk-on thing, and actually was offered the opportunity to, to redshirt, which I'm like, hmm, practice and not playing games, no thanks. Uh, and so just that didn't work out. And by that time, I had started dating the woman who was going to become my wife, and so I had more important things to be involved with at the time. So ended up not playing after high school, really. Uh, but man, I loved basketball. If you had walked into my, my bedroom when I was in high school, you would have seen 
posters all over the walls. And I grew up in the era of Michael Jordan. Can we just go ahead and... All right, awesome. There we go. Like, I am a LeBron fan, though. I'm going to let everybody know. I'm a Lakers guy. Love LeBron. Don't want to have that argument right now. But anyway, Michael was amazing. Like, I remember when the Air Jordans, like, the old school Air Jordans were new school, right? And I wanted my parents, I wanted those so bad. And I asked my parents to buy them for me. They checked out the price. They were $65. And they were like, $65? For basketball shoes, now they go for multiple thousands of dollars, those original ones. Uh, but anyway, back in the day, 65 bucks, that was a lot of money for basketball shoes. So like basketball was my thing growing up. But I remember, really, I loved everything about basketball except for conditioning, all right? Uh, especially in high school, I played three years of varsity high school. So I had the same, uh, varsity basketball, so I had the same coach for three years in a row, Coach Grant, all right? And I just remember him telling us at the beginning of every season, hey guys, just plan on not seeing a basketball for two or three weeks. Because you, you don't even think about shooting a basketball when you come to practice. You're going to spend two hours, three hours a day running, conditioning, every drill, everything you're going to do. It's not going to involve a basketball. You're going to be running to get in shape for the season. And I remember him over and over and over saying this, and we didn't believe him initially. He would say, you'll thank me at the end of the season. I was like, yeah, right, as I go throw up in the trash can, right? No, I'm not going to thank you. See, his philosophy was to start the season with the end in mind. And the end was the goal of having a successful winning season, maybe winning districts, maybe getting to state, that sort of thing. And based on that, the end goal determined our present practice. Every day he would say, you're going to thank me at the end of the season. In the end, all the effort and focus now is going to be worth it. And I didn't always believe him, but most of the time he was right. And according to Jesus, there is an end coming. We've seen that in chapter 13 with two different sets of parables. If you want to look back, you can go back to verse 36 through 43, where you see the parable of the wheat and the weeds. I preached on that a couple of weeks ago. Today we'll see verses 59 to 50 or 49 to 50. Again, there Jesus is pointing out, hey, there's an end coming. But Jesus isn't the only one in the Bible that would talk about the end. Um, multiple writers, John, Old Testament writers, other New Testament writers, especially the Apostle Paul. If you want to write down this reference, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 uh, through chapter 5, 11. That's one of the most clear kind of pictures of what the end will be like when Jesus returns. But it's, it's clear from Jesus, it's clear from Paul. The world doesn't just keep going the way it is. All, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, all wrongs will be made right. The world is going to be renewed. All who have faith in Christ will be resurrected and given new bodies, eternal bodies to live with God in his newly created world forever. It's not going to keep going the way it is. Either we're going to die, Merry Christmas, or 
happy Thanksgiving, you're going to die. Um, <laughs> or Jesus is going to return. Either way, things are not going to keep going the way they're going. There will be an end. And Jesus told us that so that it would affect how we live right now. Just like my coach used to say, hey, listen, I'm doing all this to you guys now. You're not going to fully understand it, but trust me, you're going to thank me in the end. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, the end ought to affect how you live now. The end should transform our lives in the present. That's what he was teaching his disciples. So the question for all of us is this. Are we living with that day in mind, that end, whether it's the day we die, the end for God, or whether it's the day when Jesus returns, are we letting that end affect how we live our lives now? Let me ask another question. How would living with that day in mind change how you're living right now? How, how would, if you really started doing this the way Jesus is going to call his disciples in this text to do it, how would it affect how you live right now? We put it another way. If you knew Jesus was coming back in a month, all right, which scriptures tell us Jesus said no one's going to know, but if you could know, Jesus is coming back in a month, how would that change how you're living? What would you begin doing, what would you maybe stop doing if you knew Jesus was coming back soon, like literally in a month? Thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging here after reminding us that the end is coming again back in verse 47 to 50, which we just heard read. He also tells us how that should affect how we live right here and right now. And he said it should affect us in two primary ways, big categories, two primary ways. The first way is this, that having that knowledge that there is an end, that again, either we're going to die and stand before God or Christ is going to return. What that ought to do for us right here and right now is to cause us, number one, to strive by God's grace to live the truth of God's word in our lives. To live the truth. Look at this in verse 51. If you're there in Matthew 13, verse 51. So after he tells this parable of the net that we'll get to at the end, he says, have you understood all these things? And that's referring to really all the parables that he has shared with them in chapter 13, primarily even the parable right before it. So he's saying, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. We got it. We got it unlocked. We're good. Isn't that awesome? Don't you love that response? Now, here's, here's what's funny. Later on, we're going to see they actually didn't really have it all figured out. Right? They, they didn't totally understand the kingdom of God. They didn't totally understand what Jesus as Messiah was coming to do. But I love Jesus, like, accepting them at face value. Like, he knows, okay, you don't really get it. And that's really cute that you said that. But I love you, and we're going to let you move on right now. And look how he keeps going. Look at verse 51, or I'm sorry, 52. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe. So therefore, based on the fact that you understand what I'm talking about, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven. Let's stop there for a minute. Here's something you need to know about that word trained. 
If you're reading out of the English Standard Version, which is what I'm speaking from, those are the Pew Bibles. You have the word trained there. That word could also literally be translated discipled. All right, so not just people who are trained, but discipled, that's the meaning of the word. So maybe a more helpful translation of verse 52 would be this, the first part. Therefore, every scribe who becomes a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, let's stop there. See, what's going on here is this is another parable. Even though it doesn't look like all the other parables in chapter 13, they all start off with the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, kingdom of heaven is like. This is a parable that doesn't start that way. But Jesus is uh, telling us a parable here. And Jesus is likening his disciples to scribes. Now, what's the deal with scribes? Who were they? What did they do? Well, in Jesus' world, a scribe was someone who was an expert in God's word. Okay? What we call the Old Testament. They would have called it the law. They were experts in the law. They were experts in the Old Testament. And they had really all of it memorized, all right? So they had tons of Bible information in their head. And they were the ones who were given the responsibility to teach the scriptures to others. And we'll get into that in just a moment. Now, it's, it's interesting, I think, that Jesus here likens his disciples to scribes. Why is that? It's kind of strange, Like, why is he doing that? Uh, All through the Gospels, you see Jesus having these run-ins with the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Most of the time, when you see the the, the Pharisees there, you also see the scribes. And they're kind of linked together at going after Jesus. So it's interesting that Jesus would call his disciples scribes. Because he was constantly rebuking the scribes. Because their heads were full of information. They had tons of Bible in their brain, right? They they would ace the Bible trivia quiz. So their brains were full of information, but their hearts were far from God. And how scary is that? That we could be people who have so much Bible trivia, so much Bible information, so much theology in our brains, but yet it's not yet getting down into our hearts and actually transforming how we live as followers of Jesus in the world. And that's evidence in the fact that just to show you how far they really were from God, even though their brains were filled with so much Bible information, that they actually had God in the flesh standing in front of them, performing miracles that no other person had ever performed, fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies for what the Messiah was going to be and do. And they couldn't even recognize him. Not only could they not recognize him, They actually hated him and hated him to the point of plotting with the Pharisees to kill him. And these were people that had the Bible memorized. See how scary that is? Like if we're just going to be honest right here, think about that for a second. And where maybe do you fit? Where do I fit? 
as we think through that. So, so in this passage, Jesus is saying, since you have understood what I've been saying, right? They said, yes, we get it. He's saying, well, now you're accountable. Accountable for what? Well, accountable to live what you've heard and what you know. You're my scribes. And my scribes, unlike the scribes of the, the, the day, Jesus saying, my scribes do more than fill their brains with information. Again, nothing wrong with information. Nothing wrong with knowing your Bible. Nothing wrong with knowing theology. The problem is if it just stays there, knowing, like in your mind. Jesus says, hey, my scribes do more than fill their brains with information. My scribes, my disciples are people who are transformed by my words and actually live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven here and now on earth. Why? Because they're accountable. Because they are disciples of the kingdom of heaven. They are the disciples of Jesus. And according to Jesus' half-brother James, who thought Jesus was crazy until the resurrection, right? James says in James 1, verse 22, disciples of Jesus are people who are doers of the word, not hearers only. They're people who don't just fill their brains with information. They are people who are transformed by the information they hear from God's word. The scribes of Jesus' day were by and large people who were hearers only. And they really, at the end of the day, didn't really love God. They loved information about God, but not necessarily God. How easy is that to do, by the way? Like I've given so much of my life personally to studying the scriptures, what my degrees are in. And I love studying. I love reading. I love research. I love prepping for sermons. And I've got to ask myself all the time, do I love God or do I love information about God? It's a huge difference. One is head, the other is heart. So Jesus is saying, hey, my scribes, my disciples are more than just hearers of the word. They are people who by God's grace and the power of the spirit are pursuing obedience to my word. Now, I've told you this story before, but I think it helps here. So a number, a long time ago, this was the first church I had ever worked at. Uh, it was in Southern Maryland, right on the D.C. border. And all the pastoral staff took, um, uh, went to a conference at a church in Jacksonville, Florida. All right? and I'm ta- when I say church, I'm talking massive church, right? So Jacksonville, Florida, that's not surprising. It's like Dallas, right? Tons of churches, big churches everywhere. The church was so big, like, it had just blocks of the city. That was their property. The four corners of their property were like four massive uh, parking garages. Okay, so this was a huge church. Their sanctuary could seat like 10,000 people. Huge. All right, so we went to this conference, and it was kind of a long conference. It's kind of an old school conference. So it was like four or five days, and it was like nonstop speaker, speaker after speaker after speaker after speaker, blah, 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 blah. Right? So it was like, and as a pastor who likes preaching and hearing good preaching, every, like, I, I loved it, but man, after a couple of days, it was like, okay, I'm done. I've got to get outside. I'm going to get some fresh air. So new session started. I skipped out. Shh, don't tell anybody. And 
went out to get some fresh air, went around behind the building, and I'm just kind of hanging out, leaning against the building, like the big sanctuary. And across the street was like an overpass. Church is right in the middle of the city. There's an overpass, lots of shade underneath. And I noticed there's a, a large community of people who are experiencing homelessness. And as I'm standing there and I'm watching them, seeing that, it begins to kind of stir in me a little bit. Like, man, this feels like a strange juxtaposition here. You got this massive room filled with thousands of pastors and church workers hearing sermon after sermon after sermon, hearing the word, and right outside, there's people starving. Um, and as I, that stuff starts kind of swirling around my heart and my mind, and, and as I'm thinking that, like, I see this guy get up and walk across the street, comes over to the sidewalk that I was standing on just a little bit down from me, picks up what looked like a, like a Ziploc bag, something in it. He opened it up and started eating what was inside. I didn't know what it was. And he started kind of walking towards me. And as he kind of walked by me, I saw what it was, all right? It was a ham sandwich with just tons of mayonnaise on it. Which, by the way, I hate mayonnaise. So that's bad enough. But it had been, who knows how long it had been in the Ziploc bag, in the Florida sun, and humidity. And this guy's eating it like it was a delicacy. Why? Because he was starving. He was starving. In that image of him eating that sandwich when they were starving and there are so many people inside hearing the word, being fed the word day after day after day after day after day, and yet not actually like doing something with it in the most obvious way was the, there were, they, man, they could have gone out there and helped. And, and I was there for days and I didn't see anybody do it, myself included. I'm not judging anyone. And Jesus is saying, man, wait a minute. Nothing wrong with hearing sermons. Nothing wrong with being fed God's word. But I actually want you to do something. I actually want that to move from your brain to your heart to your life. And it's almost always going to have to do with serving people, loving people tangibly. Jesus is saying that's what it looks like to be my disciple, to be a doer of the word. If you, again, have your Bible, go to the book of James towards the end of the New Testament, right after the book of Hebrews. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. Is that okay, Park Church? Are we okay with that? All right, good. It's good to hear. I want to make sure I was in the right church. James 1, start reading in verse 19. We'll read through uh, 27, then move over to chapter 2. Again, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who thought Jesus was actually crazy until he was raised from the dead. Then he's like, oh, my Lord and my God, right? That's James. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Whoa, that's a great sermon we don't have time for someday. Next, 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, the, the scriptures, the word of God that's been planted in your heart. Receive that, 
which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word, verse 22, and not hearers only, because if you're not, he says you're deceiving yourself. Being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus is more than just hearing the word. It's more than just getting more information in your brain. That's important and that's good, but it's more than that. If that's where you think it stops, you're deceiving yourself, he says. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the scriptures, the law of liberty, and perseveres, like really gets into it and sees it, being no hearer, hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. There it is. Not just a hearer, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. So, so the blessing comes from the hearing the word and doing, not just hearing. And if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That is strong language. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world, and I'll add to it, walk across the street and feed somebody who's hungry. So people who are living in the present with the end in mind are people who, by God's grace, are striving to live the truth in their daily lives. If we're honest, is that true of us? Let's just be honest. Ask ourselves that. Ask for the Spirit to, to speak, meet you right where you are. In what ways are you doing that and what ways are you not? Second. People who live with the end in mind are also people who strive by the grace of God to share the truth with as many people as they possibly can. The people who strive to share the truth with as many people as they possibly can. Back to Matthew 13, if you would. Matthew 13. Look at verse 52. It's kind of a weird verse. It's not found in any other Gospels. So it's a bit challenging to interpret, so I'll do the best I can and, and we'll apply it. Look at verse 52. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained or been discipled for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, right? So someone who owns a house, homeowner, who brings out his treasure. So brings out, think of like a container filled with treasure. So you have your house, you have like your safe, think of it kind of today. You pull the safe out. Within the safe, you're going to pull out some treasure. Brings out the treasure, what is new and what is old. Now, because he's talking about a scribe, the obvious, the treasure there is God's word. And it's somebody who's willing to take it out of their, their mind, their heart, and share it. That's what a disciple of Jesus does. That's what a scribe of Jesus does. Now, again, remember, a scribe was someone who knew the truth of God's word and also someone who was called to share the truth 
of God's word with others so that their lives could be transformed. So what is Jesus saying in verse 52? What does he mean by this new and this old treasure? Let's go to the original context and then let's talk about us. For his original disciples, it meant that they were to understand the Old Testament or the law or what we might call the Hebrew scriptures in light of the new that that Jesus was bringing in his life and in his teaching. They were to understand and communicate that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of all that was taught in the Old Testament. Remember, Jesus himself said, I did not come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. Uh, He himself fully obeyed all the law and brought a fuller meaning to what the law actually was teaching, which ultimately was about him. So Jesus wasn't telling them to do away with it. He was teaching them that the old and the new are both valuable and necessary for training or discipling people to live as God's people in the world. We need both old and new. Now, what does that mean for us today? It means that, but also as disciples of Jesus, we're called and commissioned by Jesus to share the good news of God's word with as many people as we possibly can. Now, why is that? Because we are people who are living with the end in mind. Remember, yeah, there is, Jesus is coming back. I am going to stand before God. There's consequences. We, we are people who are called and commissioned by Jesus to be ambassadors of the good news. So people who share a message from the king. The last words, this is amazing, the very last words recorded in Matthew's gospel. It's in chapter 28, and maybe in 20 years we'll get there. We'll see. Uh, Matthew 28 Here are the last recorded words of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. He says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All, I'm God, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go, right? So so he is authorizing, he is commissioning his disciples to go out into the world with his authority and his message Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What do disciples do? Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus among all people. How do they do that? Well, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them. Notice this. Man, when I was growing up in church and I heard the Great Commission, it was all about going and teaching. Did you know there's more to that verse? That there's more to the Great Commission than just filling people's minds with information. Look what it says. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe. What's that mean? To not just know about it, but to do it. Not to just think about it, but to live it by the power of of the Spirit. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I told you a lot of scripture. Verses 17 to 20. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, disciple of Jesus, he is a new creation. He, she, you are a new creation in Christ. If you're a follower of Christ. Old's passed away, new's come. All this is from God. It's a gift from God. It's grace. 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see what happens when you become a new creation in Christ? You don't just sit around and soak in information, fill your brain up with information. You actually have been given a ministry, and that's the ministry of reconciliation. How amazing is that? And God's divine plan that he chooses to work through his disciples, his people, to be used to reconcile people with God. People who are far from God, brought close to God through Christ, and he chooses to do that through us. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's insane! He's entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. And here's the appeal. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's who we are. We're ambassadors. We're new creations. Part of being a new creation is we take the same message that God used to transform us and make us a new creation to share it with as many people as we possibly can so they can experience the love and the grace and the reconciliation of God. Amen? That's what we're called to. Not just hear the word, but share the word. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to lead us in communion and we're going to pray. Before we do that, I just want us to look at the parable of the net real quickly. You're like, wait, I thought we were going to look at that. We just totally skipped that. We're not going to skip it, I promise. Look at verse 47, this other parable in our text for the day. And this one starts off like all the other ones. 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. All right, not a little casting net, but this was referring to a drag net that would have been dragged behind a boat and could catch hundreds and hundreds of fish. So it's a massive net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. This is really interesting. That word kind there is the word we get ethnicities from, which is really strange if you're talking about fish. Because as we all know, fish, they they don't have ethnicity. So it's obvious here he's he's not just talking about fish. He's talking about people. And, And as God's people, we are called to reach all people all ethnicities, all groups of people. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. Good there would be the people who received Christ's invitation to come into the kingdom and be a disciple, right? Bad fish in the ancient world were, for Jews, were fish that they weren't allowed to eat according to Levitical laws or just fish that no one else would eat. So like Jews, according to Leviticus, were only allowed to eat fish with scales. So no catfish. Bummer. But anyway, so those, that would have been considered a bad fish. It's to picture those who chose to reject Christ. And then, and then keep going. Separate the evil from the righteous, down verse 50, and throw, and throw the, those bad fish, throw them into the fiery furnace, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, the, the reason I didn't really spend much time on that parable today is because it's basically teaching the same thing of the parable of the wheat and the weeds 
from a couple weeks ago in verses 24 to 30 that I, that I taught there. So if you want to get more detail on some of that, you can go back to our website and, and listen to it. However, even though Jesus is basically teaching the same thing, the parable of the wheat and the weeds is agricultural. Obviously, it's a farmer and sowing seed. But the parable of the net for today, this is fishing imagery. Both would have been very familiar to the original audience. But the image of fishing was very, had special significance to his disciples. If you remember back Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is calling his first disciples to follow him. Do you remember that? So listen to Matthew 4, starting verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Jesus saw two brothers. Simon, who's also called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. Oh, sounds familiar. Like, sounds like our parable for today. Why were they doing that? Because they were fishermen. And that's what fishermen do. They cast a net. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Follow me. And here's what it looks like to follow me. You're going to be a fisher of people. You're going to share the gospel. You're going to throw the gospel net out there. And by God's grace, some people are going to be caught and brought into the kingdom of God. And their response is awesome. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Giving up their career, giving up their livelihood, leaving their family. It was all worth it to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, God's kingdom is advancing. By God's grace, people around the world every day are hearing the good news of the gospel and they're turning to Jesus and they're having their lives transformed by the grace of God. They're becoming new creations by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's happening primarily through God's people understanding their calling as ambassadors of Jesus. This is how the kingdom grows. This is how people come to faith in Christ. It's primarily happening through people living with the end in mind, knowing that eternity is real. There's a heaven and there's a hell. And that really compels them. That reality compels them to share the good news of the gospel with as many people as they possibly can. Why? Why is this so important? Because God doesn't just ordain the ends, meaning seeing the kingdom expand, the people brought into a loving relationship with God. He doesn't just ordain that. He also ordains the means to that end. And the means to that end are disciples of Jesus living with the end in mind, compelled, compelled to share the good news of the gospel with as many people as they possibly can until they die or they see Jesus face to face or Jesus returns. That's what Paul meant when he said in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. For it is the love of Christ that drives us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, 
And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. And that's our biggest problem. We're spending too much time living for ourselves. And why is that? Because we become more disciples of the world. We become more disciples of the culture that says, you do you. You live for you. Your truth is your truth. As opposed to being a disciple of Jesus who says, ah, when you come follow me, you no longer live for yourself. You live for something bigger, something greater than that. A philosophy that's going to come and go. You live for the king and his kingdom. So you no longer live for yourselves. But for him, for Christ, who for their sake died and was raised. Disciples of Jesus are people who live with the end in mind. And that compels them to be people who, by God's grace, strive to live the truth and share God's truth with as many people as they can until they see Jesus face to face. May that be true of Park Church. Amen? Us individually and us corporately. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, this opportunity you've given us to be challenged by your word. Lord, I know this is, this is challenging for me. I do, not, I do not perfectly obey and fulfill all that we read today and, and even what I said. Lord, I, I fall short, and that's why we need grace. You're not asking us to earn our salvation. You're asking us to do this in response of the salvation we already have in you. That it's an overflow of grace, not a, a trying or a striving to receive grace. That makes all the difference. So God, by your grace, by the power of your spirit, we want to be these kind of people. God, would you just move us a little further along today? We know that we're not going to be perfected in this lifetime. We know that, God. But we want to grow because we're your people. We're your disciples. We want to bring you honor. We want to experience this life that is really life. Part of that life is living in obedience to your word and sharing the good news of the gospel with whoever we have the opportunity to. So Jesus, grow us, shape us, transform us today by your spirit. Amen.